Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Let's um, open up our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. In this series, Chasing the Wind, we've been walking through this Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. And uh, we've just picked up a ton of great pieces of wisdom. Of course, you know that we believe this is not just human wisdom that Solomon accumulated during the days of his life. We believe this is God-given wisdom, as Solomon has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, when you get open to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, you can uh, put your finger on verse 8. I'm going to talk for a moment before I read it. You'll also find it uh, written on the top of your, um, your crosswalk notes, which are inside your bulletin folder. I want you, uh, we're going to start with a quiz this morning, so pick up your pen real quick, and uh, get ready to write some names. I got a dozen names. You can probably just uh, put down their, um, their initials, and that'll, that'll be enough, or you can put down just their first names. But um, before we read, I think we need to do this quiz. See how carefully you've been listening through this series. No, I'm just kidding. It's nothing to do with this series. <laughs> write down these names. Elvis Presley. Charles Schultz. This is a test to see how fast you can write. So I'm no, I'm kidding. It's not Heath Ledger, Albert Einstein, Aaron Spelling. Theodore Geisel, otherwise known as Dr. Seuss. John Lennon. Andy Warhol. Marilyn Monroe. Finally, we get a a girl on the list. Steve McQueen. Paul Newman, James Dean. So here's your quiz question. It's only one question for today. What do these dozen people have in common with one another? Okay, they're all dead. There's a little more to the story than that, though. They're all famous. There's still a little bit more to this story. These are the top 12 richest still earning dead people in the world. They're still making megabucks, even though they've already died. Elvis Presley last year made $52 million. That's more than Madonna made, and she's still alive. Way more than she made. It's amazing and staggering some of the figures that these people are still making. Charles Schultz, the founder uh, of Peanuts, $33 million last year. Heath Ledger, $20 million last year, and so on and so forth. They all made a lot of money. Unfortunately, 
as you and I know, they're not going to be able to do much with their earnings. The other thing that you can notice, not common to all of them, but certainly common to some of them, is that they didn't always end up living very happy lives. Take the top earner, $52 million the past year. Elvis Presley died in a very dark place, a drug addict. Some say that he died on the toilet. Not a very glorious way to go. It's not true, and you know this, probably your mom or your dad told you this many times, that if you have a lot of stuff, that you are automatically headed for happiness. And that probably is something that we all know already. But do you realize that it's actually dangerous in many ways to have your focus on building up a lot of stuff? And that's really what King Solomon is trying to teach us this morning. Not that it is in and of itself a bad thing to to have stuff. It really comes back to our hearts and our attitudes toward this stuff. You can look down that list and find some people that were really blessing people. Do you know that uh, Paul Newman, for example, last year his his, uh, salad dressing company, earned $122 million. That's how much volume they did. And all the profits from that went to charity. That's an amazing accomplishment. And so really what we're going to talk about this morning is what what can lead our possessions to bless us and others? And what can lead them to just draw us downward in a, in, a, in a death spiral. And let's take a, begin by taking a look at how Solomon words this. As I said, we're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 8. Here's what it says. If you see the poor oppressed in a district, and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are... both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain? Since he toils for the wind all his days, he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. 
Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of his life. God has given him, during the few days of the life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Isn't it amazing how those words match so beautifully with the reality that we see around us, even the reality of some of those dead celebrities that we just talk about? Let me ask you this. If you could predict the future, would that not be a somewhat nice gift to have? And you know what? There are people out there who can somewhat predict the future. In fact, you can somewhat predict the future, not down to its finite, uh, finest little details, but you can predict the future. Think of a farmer, for example. Someone who's used to watching the seasons and the signs of the times. Take, take someone who is out in nature a lot. And you'll, you'll find that that person can look at animals and trees and weather. And in general terms, usually, they're going to be able to predict some things about what's going to happen. Now, there's an even better way than that, if you're a farmer, to predict some things. Can a farmer, for example, predict what's going to grow in his field? What he's going to harvest? Absolutely. You know how he predicts what he's going to harvest? He looks and he sees what seed he's holding in his hand, doesn't he? And Solomon today, when when we read these words... He's really asking us to look down into our hands and he's trying to help us to see the future. He's trying to help us to connect the dots. And what he's saying to us is, if you set your heart on worldly wealth, if you set your heart, if you obsess over stuff in this world, That obsessing is the equivalent of planting seeds. And through his experience and through, as we said earlier, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's he's leading us to see if, if that's where our hearts are going and if our actions are following after that, every thought of the heart that's going that way, every action that pursues an obsession with possessions is going to lead to a certain kind of harvest. And what is that harvest? Well, take a look again at chapter 5, that long section that we just read. Look at verse 17. All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. I'm I'm really reminded of what the Apostle Paul also says in Galatians chapter 6. You know what that is? I put that in your crosswalk notes. Take a look at that. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Remember what Jonathan said earlier during the confession of sins? Remember how he said that God calls upon us to love him more than anything else. To love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Jesus goes on to say, that is the first and greatest commandment. Now put that together with what Paul's saying. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So the first question that we're confronted with this morning by Solomon really is, can you connect the dots? Can you see the future? Are you looking at what kind of seeds are in your hand spiritually? And those seeds, where are they going to end? Remember that God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. I believe there's a great way to help us understand what kind of seeds we're planting with our possessions. Because we all have in this country today, we have so much. I wish so, so greatly, I wish so greatly that people from our country could spend just a week or two in a different part of the world. I think all of our eyes would be opened to see how much we have. I remember when Julie and I first stepped off the plane in Zambia, And how even though our salary didn't rise even one cent, the moment we stepped off that plane in Zambia, the whole tables were turned on us. We immediately became very wealthy people. Why? Because it's all who you're compared to, right? Here, everybody's got a car. Here, everybody's got a a roof over their head. Here, everybody's got a closet full of clothes to wear, and everybody's probably a little bit of an overstatement, but the vast majority of us do. Those statements are not true in a country like Zambia. And we are so amazingly blessed with possessions. So the question comes, what kind of seeds are we planting with these gifts that that God has given us? Are our hearts a captive of want? You know, a lot of hearts are captivated by want. And ironically, it seems like the wealthier of a place that you live in, the more danger it is that your heart is going to be captivated by want. You know, we always want one more thing, right? If I have one more new car, one new job, one new house, one new spouse, if I can just get that one more thing, finally, I'll be happy. We want something bigger. We want something nicer. We want something faster. We want something thinner. And in those wants, pretty soon, we're captured. Until we begin to think in our hearts that that's exactly what's going to make us Uh, happy, and that's what captivates us. You certainly may be captivated 
if your view of your possessions is that they are to flow in and flow in, and my job in life is to capture them and to hold on to them and to make sure none of these possessions escapes me. Take a look at the Luther quote that I put down there for you. Here's a great question to ask yourself. To sort of give you a little bit of a, a mirror into your own heart. Martin Luther once wrote, If our goods are not available to the community, they are stolen goods. You see, why does God give us our possessions so that we can become a big reservoir and collect more and more? You've heard recently about Roosevelt and how because now we've gotten more snow and more rain, that, that huge reservoir just expanded. Finally, they were forced to let some of the water out. See, that's the way sometimes we view our possessions. It goes all the way back to when we were a baby, right? What's, the, what's one of the first words we learned to say as a baby? Mine! And sometimes, even as adults, that's kind of how we think. Mine! And we collect and we collect and we wrap our arms around it more and more. The attitude God wants us to have, as Martin Luther says there, is that we're not a reservoir, we're a river. And that the possessions that God has given us are intended for us to sort of channel them into good places so that they can go on and bless others and honor God. And that's really what a person who, who wants to follow God does. He thinks about, okay, how can I channel these gifts and how can I pass them on so that they are actually a blessing to others? And why do we think that way? Well, here's the key point. Why do we think of ourselves as a channel and a river for the blessings instead of a reservoir? Because we know that everything that we have not really ours to begin with, is it? It all belongs to God. I heard a story just yesterday. Great story. Guy goes to Circle K. True story. Goes to Circle K, and he's there in the Circle K putting some gas in his car, and a weird thing happens. He puts, he, he, uh, Flips the thing up accidentally. He's kind of being absent-minded. And you know how it is. Usually the pump won't turn on until you swipe your card, right? Well, he flips the, the handle up, and the pump turns on. And apparently he's going to get some free gas out of this. So because he's an honest guy, he, he holds it up, and he walks into the store, and he says, for some reason, I don't know if you know this, but your pump seems to be broken, um, it's going to give me gas for free. And the clerk in the store says, no, sir, it's, it's fine. There was a guy at that pump previous to you that was having a little bit of trouble, and, uh, and he ended up putting $15 on it. And he, uh, he came in, and, he said, and I said, do you want a refund for it? And he said, no, just give it to the next person that comes up to the pump. And uh, the guy goes out, wow, is that really cool? I get... $15 worth of free gas. And so he goes out there, he flips it up, and, uh, and he's pumping his tank full of gas. And all of a sudden, the thought hits him. 
I'm not just getting free gas today. I get free gas every day. Because where does the money come from that buys my gas? Every day when I take $15 out of my wallet, it's not really my $15. It's God's $15. Every day when I go to the store to to buy groceries, I'm not using my money. I'm using God's money. It's the gift that he's given me. All the gas that I buy, all the groceries that I buy, the house that I own, the shirt that that I have on, it's all free because it's all a gift to me from God. That is the attitude that leads to us being a river with our resources, channeling them, but not hoarding them. See, most of us live, uh, or many of us live by the saying, hoarding is rewarding. And when we take that attitude of being a a reservoir, that is sin. That's sin. And that's why Solomon confronts it. And he confronts it because that kind of hoarding is rewarding sin is going to lead to the very darkness that he describes. Take a look at that verse again. Verse 17. Is hoarding rewarding when you look at those words? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. That's not where we want to go. And take a look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10, and 2 Peter 3, 1 to 4. And look at the darkness that God says is ahead for those who go by the motto, hoarding is rewarding. First of all, 1 Timothy 6, these are in your crosswalk notes. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin. And destruction. You see the darkness? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered into the darkest pit and trap there is, have wandered from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. When we have the reservoir, hoarding is rewarding mentality, we are going to end up, connect the dots, Solomon says, connect the dots, pierced with many griefs, maybe even separated from our faith in God. And not just us as individuals. The Bible teaches that this can happen to whole cultures, societies. It can even happen to a church. Take a look at 2 Peter 3, 1 to 4. I put this one in here to show us that this is not only a a, a thing that can afflict us one by one by one, but can afflict us as a community. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now that 
is darkness. I don't think any of us would ever want to live or be a part of a community where you are surrounded with people that, that could be described like that. So what's the answer? Well, what's always the answer for darkness? Light. And who tells us so beautifully and so wonderfully that he is the light? Jesus, who says, I'm the light of the world. And he comes into this darkness. And he gives us his beautiful words. He says, my words are a light for your path and a lamp for your feet. And so as we dig down, especially, especially into the gospel message, that wonderful message that Jesus came to be a light because he came to take away our sins. He came, came to forgive us of, of everything that we've ever done wrong. And if the love of money is the root of all evil, even the love of money. He came to forgive us for that and take that away from us. Jesus is simply saying to, to us, make a turn and turn away from that, that, that path that is leading to darkness and, and come into my light. I'm ready to shed some light on your situation, Jesus promises us. I'm ready to guide you out of your frustrated life. I'm ready to give you the wonderful light that is my word. So here's our first point for this morning. Obsessing over the world's wealth leads us downward. A cycle that heads down into darkness and frustration. Winston Churchill you know him as the famous World War II Prime Minister of Great Britain. He was also an author, and he said a lot of really cool things. And one of, the, one of the neatest things that he said is, you make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. So let me just ask you this simple question. In your everyday business, in your everyday life, are you making a living or are you making a life? Doesn't the answer to that question really come back to what is it that we're seeking? I, um, I recently talked to um, an ASU graduate and we were talking about the Sunday sermon. He says, that reminds me so much of what one of my business professors said on the very last day of school. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I just have one last thing that I want to say to you as you go out now into your careers. He said, it's all about you. You are number one. And if there is nothing else you do in your life, make sure every day that you take care of, number one, you. As long as you do that, he said, you'll be successful in life. You'll be happy in life. Make sure you take care of yourself first. Now, if that is what is being taught by most people at our universities, it's no wonder 
that depression and darkness is increasing day by day in our country. It's no wonder that more and more people are separating their lives from God because essentially what that statement says is, you are God. And the first person that you need to take care of is you. Put yourself on that pedestal. And how opposite that is from the words of Jesus, who says in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know how many of us in life today have learned to identify who we are by what we possess? My, my beautiful wife, Julie, loves to watch TLC, the channel on cable. And uh, one of the shows that she loves to watch is What Not to Wear. Have any of you ever seen this show, What Not to Wear? Okay. What's always amazing to me at the beginning of the show is how difficult people find it to throw away their old clothes. And one of the things that I, I've heard over and over and over again as, as th- these two uh, on TLC are like ripping through the closet and throwing away all their clothes is, you can't throw that away, that's who I am. You're taking my identity away if you throw those clothes away. Do we really believe that who we are is based on what we wear? Or the car that we drive? Or whether or not we've got the latest set of ping golf clubs? Or we've got the biggest, baddest HDTV on our block? Is that what defines who we are? Take a look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then look back at what Solomon says, because it's something pretty cool too. In chapter 5, toward the end, look at what he says, verse 18. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life. And look what it says there. Because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Remember how we've been talking in this series that Solomon many times is looking at life under the sun. And when Solomon looks at life under the sun, who is he factoring out of the equation? Do you remember? He's factoring God out of the equation. And he keeps repeating that phrase, life under the sun, life under the sun, meaning let's factor God out. And when we factor God out, That's when we get into that death spiral that leads down into darkness. But notice what Solomon does here. He comes back to God, doesn't he? He says, just for a minute, let's factor God back in. 19, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, This is a gift of God. He's peering beyond the sun now. 
to where God is. And he's saying, you know, the stuff that I have, it's just, it's all amazing gifts from God. When we factor God into the equation, it, it changes everything about our possessions. And that's why Jesus says, very similarly, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things that you're looking for, contentment and peace and joy, just like Solomon says here, it's all going to be added to you. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Again and again, we see in the Bible examples of people who did that. They, they, when they were going down into that pit of darkness based on chasing possessions, they caught themselves. And they said, what, what am I doing? I don't, I don't need to do this. No matter how dire my situation is, if I have God, I have everything I need. Read through the book of Colossians sometime. The, the, the theme of the entire book of Colossians is Jesus Christ is enough for me. Or, or read what Paul says in the book of Philippians, sitting there in a, truly imprisoned in a dark dungeon set up by the Romans. And do you know what Paul says as he's sitting there in that dungeon? Let me read you his words. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And I put this one in your crosswalk notes. David did it too. When he caught himself in that downward spiral, he said, you know what? Stop all this. This possessiveness, this greed. And let me just remember that if I have Jesus, if I have God, I have everything. Will you read this with me? Psalm 16. I put it in the notes. I'd love to have you read it aloud with me. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Isn't it amazing to look at a person who is obsessed with possessing Christ? And see the peace and the contentment and the joy that washes over a man like David, even though he was being chased up and down the land of Palestine by his enemies constantly, even one time by his own dearly loved son. And still in the midst of that, he has peace and contentment because he looks to the Lord. Or Paul in that prison cell. And don't we all have to ask ourselves, do we want some of that? 
Do we want some of that faith and that contentment and that joy even in the middle of life's struggles? You see, that's the wonderful quality of resting in the light of Jesus, of walking on the way. Life can be dark, but still you're going to know where you're going. You know, in the, in the theater, often, when it's really dark in there, or you've seen these also on, on airplanes, right? There are these little, little light paths that come on when it's really dark or if the plane would ever go down, right? And why do, why do they have those? So that you can see where you're stepping and so where you, you can know where to go. That's, that's the light that David had. He had that little light path. Only it wasn't physical lights, it was Jesus. That's the light that the Apostle Paul had. Those little lights guiding him where to go. That's the light that you have when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And here's our second point. Possessing God leads us upward into satisfaction and gladness. Paul wrote to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I don't know about you, it is not my goal to be a wealthy, dead celebrity. I don't think it's any of your goal either. And I'll tell you why I know that. Just in this last week, I have seen God work amazing generosity through this community of believers. I want to take you back to something Jonathan said just a few moments ago, right? Think about what he was saying there. Last week, we had four people signed up to volunteer in our community. And this week, we have 80-something. What an amazing work God is doing in your hearts to give you such generous hearts to step up and serve him that way. You know that that happens every week here at Crosswalk because most of you who are part of the Crosswalk family are already volunteering. You know how I know that? Because we'll have a special event like this coming up and the the staff will get on our membership management program in the office and we'll be scrambling around looking for somebody that isn't connected yet. And do you know how hard it is for us to find someone who isn't connected yet? We'll even talk about it around the table. We'll go, well, maybe this person. No, 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 they're, they're working on this team. Well, maybe that person. No, no, they've gotten connected already. They're working on this team. Consistently, it happens, not only on Sunday morning, that in the middle of the week, maybe as an electronic gift, maybe even someone walking into the office, that someone will come and bring a special financial gift to their Lord often very generous-hearted gifts. And I'm not talking about how big it is. That doesn't matter to me. Jesus teaches that it could be two pennies. That doesn't matter. Not the amount. It's the generous hearts. 
So I know by watching the fruit that this community is producing that there is a group of people here empowered by the Holy Spirit, loving Christ as Christ first loved them, resting in his forgiveness, who want to have generous hearts. And as I conclude this message today, I want you to know that, that we recognize that. And I and the staff are so grateful to be part of a church that has been so empowered by God to have generous hearts like you have. And let me just say this. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul says. What the Holy Spirit has begun in you, let him continue to build it up in you and keep on doing it more and more. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk. Take some time this week to evaluate yourself. Is there any part of your life where you're trying to serve two masters? You know what Jesus says about that. No man can serve two masters. Have one. Have I fallen into the trap of obsession, possession at times? That second point too. God is your refuge the way he is David's refuge. He has forgiven the world in Christ. He has forgiven you in Christ of all of your sins. What sinful obsessions do you need to take to him? Finally, meditate on and memorize Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's your thought for the day. It's not about having an obsession with possessions, unless your obsession is for possessing Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus for us. And Lord God, heavenly father, we come to you. We open up our hearts to you. And Lord, we just ask that if you see greed inside of our hearts, take it out. Remove it from our hearts today, Lord. We are so sorry for those moments when we get obsessed with physical possessions. We, we come before you, Lord, and we apologize for that, and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, replace that with an obsession for possessing your son, Jesus, and for trusting in him in every aspect of our life. And through that trust, which you alone give us, Lord, through your powerful word, through the sacraments, as we, as we saw today in baptism, you give us that trust, Lord, through faith, that most amazing gift of God, lift us upward to always know you and rest in you. Lord, I ask you, especially this morning, to bless little Rebecca. And I ask you to bless Nandi as you have lifted them up this morning through the, the sacrament of baptism. Continue to do that, that they may grow into you more and more, and that you may live in them, and that they may one day enjoy eternal life in heaven with you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.